Welcome to Badgedamia, a podcast so educational two professors could be hosting it. Hi, I'm Dr. Danielle Dickenview, and joining me is Dr. Bill Pennyman. Welcome everybody to Batchadamia. Uh, today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Elaine Eshbaugh. She's a full professor in gerontology at UNI. Um, and she's my favorite professor. I am her husband. So what do you want to tell us about yourself, Dr. Eshbaugh? Well, I think the most important thing to mention um, is that I am upstairs at our house and Bill is currently downstairs and we have three dogs. So I am normally, while he is recording, trying to make sure the dogs don't bark and they stay under control. So this is just a warning. It's kind of a, a free for all. We'll just see what happens today. That is a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. If they lose their shit, we're just going to have to let it happen. Yeah. So anything about your professional career? Anything you want to oh. Yeah. Um, so I'm a gerontologist, which means I study the aging process and my specialty is um, dementia and caregiving. And there's maybe a little bit of a caregiving tie here, maybe why I got asked to come on uh, this week. And I write a blog called When Dementia Knocks. So if you Google When Dementia Knocks, you'll see a picture of me and um, that would be my blog. Nice. Awesome. Danielle, you look so excited right now. <laughs> I am, I am. All right, uh, so we have our question that we start out with every day, um, every episode, and I found this question and I thought it was hilarious, and then there was a lot of questions, so I found a picture to help explain this. So would you rather be a reverse centaur or a reverse mermaid slash merman? And I'm gonna do a screen share here. And um, let's see. So I think, go full professor on y'all. You can see this right now, right? This is the reverse uh, okay. mermaid, merman. This is the reverse centaur in case anyone is um, questioning this. Can you describe that for listeners? Yeah, if you do not have um, a, thank you for reminding me. I forget people can't see what I can. Uh, if you do are not watching on YouTube, uh, you basically a reverse uh, mermaid merman is human on bottom, fish on top. The picture is basically just a fish head, um, but we'll we'll go like fish body. Um, a reverse centaur is instead of having the horse bottom, you have the horse top with the human bottom. So. All right, so I am going to go with, I've, I've changed my answer um, since I saw the pictures because I did not know the mer person, mm -hmm. um, the mer person would have arms. I did not picture the mer person oh. with arms and that changes anything, everything. So I'm gonna go with that. Okay. See, I think I have to go with the centaur because oh. I'm worried that the fish can't breathe. Oh no, the, you- It doesn't no, you have to though, does it? Yeah, you can breathe out of water. Oh. oh, well, I don't know. I guess I'll still, I don't know. Scales kind of creep me out. So I'll stay with the horse head. I I think I'm going with the fish because then I feel like you can breathe both above and in water, which would be a really, really handy ability, you know? All right. I'm glad we didn't get in a fight over that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll think about 
ways to to fight this one out. <laughs> All right. So episode in one word. What do you got? Insecurities. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh. Drama. Drama. Um, I'm gonna go with uh oh man. How about fainting? I'm gonna go with fainting. That started the whole thing. I was like, what decade century are we in that like there's like women fainting? It feels like I was like, are they wearing Spanx? Like, what's happening here? Yeah. Her spanks were too tight. I've never worn spanks, but I feel like that really tight spanks could make you faint. If you learned anything about my lack of knowledge of undergarments last week, it would it would reveal that maybe my Spanx experience is limited as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we pick up, speaking of fainting, um, uh, where Sarah, basically at the end of the last episode, uh, they take her off um, and Matt James is kind of comforting her and the girls are not happy about this. First off, uh, they were insisting that potentially this was a fake feigning spell and she was doing it for attention. Any thoughts on that? Well, I just have an idea. Um, is there, maybe this word already exists, but if you are fake fainting, are you like fanking instead Ooh. of fainting? Like was she fanking? I like that. You know my mashup of my love of mashup of words, honey. Yeah. I one, we should adopt that word if it doesn't exist. I like if she was fanking for fake status. It sounds kind of a little sexual, but it's not. It's not. Thank you. So. Listen, right now we're putting our flag in the ground. Urban dictionary. This is our word. If she's faking it then she's got some things going on. And I think that it's really bizarre to me that all of the women went there, right? That immediately, rather than being empathetic or like worried about her, they're like, mm, that girl's faking it and stealing all my time. Yeah. Well, and there's an interesting dynamic that occurs, I think maybe in this moment, because before this moment, everyone hated Victoria. And now all of a sudden we've got a reason to hate Sarah. So then Victoria joins up with the gang again and she's got an in and she's part of them. So like the dynamic totally changes in terms of the common enemy of the group in that moment where she might've been fanking. Nothing brings people together, enemies together, like a common enemy of the yeah. two enemies. Like that groups of people, they will band together if they have a reason to dislike somebody. Um, and I don't feel like it works the other way. Like if they have something to work towards, but especially when there's like a shared, uh, like a goal involved that only one person can have. It's sort of the first time that you feel like Victoria might have some power with her mean girl persona. Because before it, she had it, but there is no... She had no minions. You know? yeah, no one liked right. her. Yeah. No, they kind of jump in line behind her when she starts being snarky. And um, I didn't see that coming, but she's part of the gang, at, at least for now, until later in the episode when Alexis Rose 
Can I? Oh, have we talked about how she looks like Alexis Rose? No, from Shit's Creek. Yeah, Alexis does, or <laughs> Victoria does. No, Sarah. Sarah looks just like Alexis Rose from Shit's Creek. Um, if you guys continue talking, can I show a picture? Yeah, Absolutely. go ahead. Elena's just she's. She has jumped on. She is basically uh, much like Victoria. I think she's going to take over hosting control. Like okay. she's sending texts well, to Danielle. She's like, Bill just talks too much. <laughs> I was saying to Elaine uh, when we were watching this, I can't tell if Victoria is woefully inept or if she is an amazing manipulator. But yeah. So this uh, is Alexis Rose. Yeah. And I think she looks a lot like Sarah. So I've been unintentionally sometimes calling um, Sarah Alexis Rose. So if I do that, please know I mean Sarah. Especially when they have makeup on. Like, I think she does her makeup kind of like um, Alexis, which makes her look even more like her. Similar hairstyles, colors, coloring. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I see it. I get it. Yep. Well, we'll have a lot of time to and talk. And the drama thing too, because Alexis Rose is a drama llama and so is Sarah. She does love some good drama. So speaking of that, um, he sends people home. Alana, Ileana, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Kristen, Marilyn, and Sydney all go home. Any thoughts on the dearly departed? Anything you want to add? I would like to say to Marilyn, um, I relate to you because I feel like what happened to you with Victoria was um, the same thing that happened with, with me and a girl in the seventh grade because she went around and told everyone that I called her the B word and I didn't. And I tried to defend myself and it went nowhere. So I, I totally relate to, to Marilyn here. I, I still remember the name of the girl. I won't say it. You don't but want to stir up any muscatine drama. Right. Yeah. Okay. Lane, I'm so sorry that you experienced that in seventh grade. <laughs> it's really shaped me as a being, as a human. It, th these moments are our defining moments. Right. Well, I still remember how many, it's 30, like, oh my gosh, it's like 30 years later. How crazy is that? Um, almost and to I the still, day. I remember. I don't know if it's almost to the day, but I'm going to say to the day and you had buried it and now we brought it up and... Oh, you know, therapist. The university has counseling services for things like this. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so I was like, I was surprised that he sent Marilyn home instead of Victoria, but I wasn't surprised that he sent Marilyn home hmm. because her, she seemed very insecure and pretty early on. So I think that it was probably best for her that she ended up going home. And I think that that was the right decision. But given he kept Victoria after that was shocking if you don't think about it from the production standpoint, <laughs> like the producers. Standpoint. Well, I thought Marilyn kind of reminded me of Eeyore. And so given the choice between Eeyore and Victoria, who at least it seems like she's entertaining, I guess I would keep Victoria around. Um, 
I guess on a different podcast, he said she's really funny. Like they had him on and he was like, Victoria's really funny. You don't see it. So I kind of do see it though. Yeah. I mean, she's mean funny, but there's a funny, like an underlying funny in there. I think you get a glimpse of it at the group date when they read erotica. Yeah. Um, the other girls are just cracking up and you do get a little sense from the snippets that we see. That we need to talk about erotica because I got something for y'all. And you know, <laughs> I love a good uh, transition that just uh, organically happens. So let's do it, Danielle. Uh, Chris Harrison uh, apparently wrote erotica which he, uh, so people on Twitter kept calling it that and he is now defending himself. It's a, it's a romance novel with a lot of sex in it. It's like, yeah, that's erotica. <laughs> like, so I have a surprise. Okay. Um, I went on Amazon and I have some reviews of Chris Harrison's book. Oh, yes. Yeah, let's do it. I want to okay. hear it. Top three, top three. So first of all, 70% um, of people gave it five stars. Okay. There's a lot of negative comments though. Um, I was highly disappointed by the more graphic scenes. I'm not one to like those scenes in the first place, but there were two in particular that were borderline degrading. Man, if anyone has treated me that way, they would have been met with a sound slap. Though Harrison may have written the book for the right reasons, I feel like it was published to make money off his name and the Bachelor franchise. There are better books by no-name authors. What would be the no, right reason to write erotica? Like, I don't know, but I need to find it and do yeah. it. There's a, okay, there's a word here. I don't know, so you're going to have to help me. And this is the other one I'll read to you. The, this is from Heather. She, her title for her review is Predictable, Boring, Unlikable Characters. The characters are shallow and vapid? Vapid? What does that mean? Vapid, vapid, vapid. I think. Okay, and yep. not worth your time or attention. This book seems to be a compilation of about 50 other cheap romance novels full of cliches and unimaginative prose. It is just blah, 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 blah all the way through. The characters don't really do anything. The author is overly detailed and descriptive about mundane items while never fully developing the plot. So that's all I got on, on Chris Harrison's book. So I have a vapid definition. Yeah, help could, me out here. I could not find it on, um, oh, what's the... Urban Dictionary, which is my first go-to for any dictionary. So I went with Merriam-Webster, the loser's dictionary. Uh, it says offering nothing that is stimulating or challenging. There you go. Hmm. All right. So, I, I will make it a point to read his his romance. Please do. Yeah. At some point. And write a review. Absolutely. Yeah. And give it as a gift. Your mother in law. <laughs> oh to your mother-in-law, father-in-law. Yes, that would be wonderful. They they would not be shocked if they received it as a gift from me, but they also wouldn't read it. <laughs> All right, so Danielle, I think you got extra credit, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah. So I was really excited that they brought this out. One, because a life goal of mine is to write a romance novel. Um, I'm currently writing a <clears throat> apocalyptic romance play that will be probably directed, I'll probably direct it next spring. What? So a year from now in the interpreter's theater called Day Zero. Oh my gosh. But, um, 
I would love, love, love to write a romance novel. So I've always been kind of interested in this. At one point, I, you know, did a little bit of research on the Twilight series um, and published a book chapter um, about reading the adolescent body in the Twilight books and, and images and representations of the body, adolescent body. Um, and so when I think about romance, novels, one of the first things that I think about is this book. It's from 1984, so it's seasoned, and um, by Janice Radway called Reading the Romance, and this was a really important text because in it, Radway challenges myths about why women read romantic fiction, and the people who read fiction. So a lot of times people think about women that read romance as being uneducated, vapid, um, like lacking substance. Um, Good topical use of terminology. <laughs> yes. And so what she really found though, is that one, a lot of the heroines in romance novels are actually strong, independent, and um, intellectual women. Oh. And she also says that we need to focus as we analyze these texts on the social event of reading. And so she really takes a reader response approach to criticism, which is an important sort of shift in how romance novels were being studied. Um, someone at UNI, Karen Mitchell, um, did some research in the 90s about romance novels as well and published an article called Ever After Reading the Women Who Read and Rewrite Romances. And then she turned that into a, a performance that was directed in the Interpreter's Theater as well. And, um, you know, in it, it, it really is about the relationships that women create with each other through the act of reading. Um, one of my favorite websites is actually called Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And so there's, you know, a whole sort of collective of women, of course, with e-readers and I think independent publishers and things like that. The genres of romance have really expanded. There's ways that through romance novels, you see people modeling healthy um, relationships. So there's been some studies on how, for example, asking for consent in a sexy way is modeled through romance novels, how you kind of talk about and discuss STIs is like modeled through different um, scenes written in romance novels. So kind of shifting this idea that, you know, how are romance novels both sort of built on heteronormativity and um, sometimes problematic gender war roles, and also they're simultaneously challenging those concepts and their readers are well are as well. So that's a little bit about that. Really quickly though, I do wanna let you all know the authors of the books that I was talking about last week. So Queen, Queen Bees and Wannabes is by Rosalind Wiseman and Odd Girl Out is by Rachel Simmons. And I don't know if I got that right last week. I like it. That's my extra. Write that down. I got it. I have a question, Danielle. Yeah. Do you know what the difference between romance novels and erotica is? There seemed to be a debate on Twitter and I didn't quite get a chance to look it up. Or Elaine. I don't Sex. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think. Graphic sex. 
Yes, graphic sex. I think like, for example, Nicholas Sparks is romance, right? There's the sexiness is the anticipation of sex more than sex itself. So like think even the Twilight series, there's like, you know, somebody wrote like there's more snogging in like Harry Potter than like than actually like in some of the Twilight books. But like what is sexy about is the anticipation of the the intimacy. Um, when I think about erotica, so this isn't really based on this. I I could probably look this up and find it out from like an academic standpoint, but um, also I think the role of plot versus sex. So I think the plot in romance novels is like more important than the sex where like when you read erotica, it will jump right into it. But of course that the lines are blurred. So I'm like thinking about Outlander series, right, is pretty hot and graphic at times, but I think that'd still be considered a romance novel. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> like it. All right. So... Who had the worst erotica of the women? Well, let me first say Matt James was really bad. Like the chocolate cake. Yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah. Also, I will point out that they said they needed to write a steamy scene, um, but it just turned into erotica. Like, like it went from steamy to sex real quick. Basically, when Dildo Girl and Victoria got a hold of the the pen. So I think Katie was my favorite. I can start with yeah. who my favorite yeah. person is. So if we don't have a worst, let's just go with who, what was the best? What was your favorite? Keep going, Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really like Katie um, just because you could tell that it was funny. He said later that he felt like it was vulnerable. So I'm wondering about the parts that we missed out on. I loved watching the girls react. Like they seemed like they were legitimately having fun you know, said that their mouths hurt from smiling so much. And that was just, I thought that was fun. Yeah, one thing I really like about this group date is they just seem to have fun, you know, um, at least, you know, for that portion of it. Everybody um, but Sarah. Huh? Everybody but oh. Sarah. Sarah was like pearl clutching. Yeah. Um, I will admit, though, through this episode, especially Dildo Girl is really growing on me and I did not see that coming. She's great. Also, like, sometimes the most mature person there. You're like, how did yeah. the girl get to be, like, yeah. the most emotionally intelligent to, you know, use Bennett? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly my thought. She has all four of the characteristics. <laughs> all four. All four. All four. Um, I, I do think that this would be so embarrassing to do, though, or to have to sit there as Matt James. And have these girls read this about you. Like, it would be embarrassing to do. But I also kind of like being embarrassed, but I'm a weirdo. I also wondered if they had been drinking or not. That would help. Like, I was just curious because I did not see them drinking during it. It wasn't like they were sitting there with a glass of wine. I So if they were stone cold sober, good for them. Yeah, I would need at least five to six very stiff drinks. Uh, I appreciated Victoria mainly because we were talking about this in the COVID watching pod. And I feel like you have two options in this. You either try to write the best erotica ever, which I don't know what that is, or you just go full send and try to make it funny and really lewd. 
And I feel like that is a space that Victoria worked really well in, especially when they were like, she was reading and it just kept like beeping her out. Like there was a good five seconds there. I was just like, beep. I, I thought that was great. Her queen references and the way that she played on that was really funny. Yeah. She seems somewhat self-aware and somewhat not. I just, I can't get a read on her, but. All right. So after erotica, um, they go to drinks. Uh, Matt makes out with Rachel um, and she gets the rose. um, And he also makes out with Brie. Any thoughts on their connections? Um, I just was very confused about why Brie seemed to just be wearing a men's shirt and nothing else. (laughs) I didn't notice that. I mean, yeah. I guess it was a shirt dress. I I don't know. Um, that, that was, I was so focused on that. Does she have anything underneath? How unbuttoned is it? I, I really could not get a feel for their connection because I was so, um, interested in her outfit i very much feel my age watching the fashion choices of the women on the bachelor because none of them are wearing cardigans (laughs) and (laughs) so i'm very confused by their their clothing choices (laughs) well um a couple times at the rose ceremony i wondered if the rose ceremony had a theme like um bad prom dresses and I'm mostly referring to Victoria. Like, I wondered if it was like a theme party where you were supposed to wear like the worst prom dress you could find at Goodwill. All of her dresses are like that though. Like every dress is just like a bad, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, there's just some weird fashion stuff happening right now. I'd be really fascinated to see if there's any studies or write-ups about how COVID has influenced <laughs> people's perceptions of fashion because like you're not seeing people in the same way so where are you getting your ideas where are you buying your clothes like all of these things kind of shift that's really interesting it really accessorize that dirty sweatshirt with a scarf real nice yeah. like, <laughs> new look you <laughs> like old sweatshirt with like a scarf y'all should know i wore jeans the other day it's because all sweatpants i'd like and not like i have nine pairs of the same Nike warm-up pants and it's just my uniform for sleeping and for work and everything but I just want you to know um Friday night I put on jeans I think it's always a test where I'm like oh maybe I should pay attention to my eating because I put these jeans on and I don't remember them feeling like this So I will say, I really think that we're going to see more things happen between Matt and Rachel. Yes, they they definitely have a connection. And I feel like they're moving at the same pace. Um, they And I even in their conversation, that was reflected that they are both comfortable with how fast things are moving. So, uh, so then Sarah um, comes in. She interrupts Katie. Um, we did a poll on this, uh, if Matt has some responsibility to kind of shut this down. And what we found largely is that people think he has some responsibility. Uh, I think we had like 40 respondents and like 90% of the people said he has total responsibility or some only two people said he has no responsibility. Um, I have a thought on this. So let's say 
Bill, you wanted to go out for a really nice dinner with me on a Friday night. Uh And Danielle, you wanted to spend time and you wanted to post COVID um, get a glass of wine. I am not going to let you guys argue about who should get to spend time with me. I'm going to make a decision because I am a grown person instead of letting two people like fight it out. But that's what happens. The person sits there while these two other people argue instead of the person saying, I would like to sit down with you or I would like to talk to you because he doesn't want to upset anyone. I will also point out that Elaine's an only child. And so in this fantasy, we are fighting over her. Like it's not like Danielle's my friend. It's an analogy. And in the analogy, I am Matt James. I get it. Okay. I was following. Um, Thank you. I think, I think that this must be a really challenging position for the person that is in the lead because you see this happen in almost every season. Um, But I do think that they have some responsibility. I think, I think, Maybe at first you're like, hey, I want to see what Sarah's upset with. But after it's been five minutes and Katie comes back in, you're like, oh, yep, we're done. Let me walk you out. I appreciated that Katie then comes back um, after Victoria. Again, watching Victoria, she's really good at stirring shit up. Um, Tells her to go get her time back. She tries to get her time back. They keep talking. So then she does like the creepy person at a bar waiting for a table and like stands behind him and then she sits down um they go out matt james kisses her and then victoria follows sarah out and kind of confronts her in a very like mean girl she's like i just felt so bad about this oh i felt so concerned for you and then katie comes over dildo girl and kind of confronts her about it any thoughts on that uh do you felt like katie handled it well um thoughts on victoria i appreciated katie asserting herself i think that she was also in a really awkward position and i think that she she let sarah have her time and then she came back in you know and sarah wanted more time and um i thought that she handled it assertively and probably as politely as one can (laughs) Um, given the situation, I think I, I too am just starting to become a Katie fan. I don't know if I think her and Matt are going to have any chance of ending up together, but I'm rooting for Katie. I feel like there should be an informational video on for like all contestants on here's how you deal with someone taking your time. Like instead of one, like complaining to the group and like not going back or two, like complaining to Matt and like you know, by yourself and whining about it and like perseverating over it for the next 12 days. Like she did her thing and like seemed to kind of move on. So. I'm a little worried about Sarah. Yeah. At this point, I don't know that she's going to go home and you can sort of empathize with how difficult this whole situation must be. And yeah, you go into the situation knowing it, but I also think that sometimes people don't anticipate having actual feelings or um, it's just a weird situation to be in. But at the same time, you're also just like, 
it, it's kind of selfish, right? So I, I thought about this and um, there, it seems like there's one or maybe two every season that I almost think, you know, you're right. Like maybe they didn't anticipate the feelings, but sometimes I feel like they're a little narcissistic where it's like, I am feeling this way and no one has ever felt this way. Um, and I feel like, did you not know what was going to happen on the show? So I feel like it's a little bit narcissistic. Like there's 20 other girls here or 18 or 16 or however many, and I'm the only one who's struggling with this. You don't know how I am struggling with this. Um, instead of understanding that obviously there are feelings involved for everyone there who wants to spend time with Matt and have had their moments and then have to watch other moments. Like with Sarah, I want to be like, you know, you're, what you're feeling is I don't want to say normal because the, the bachelor isn't like a normal setting, but what you're feeling is a normal response to that situation. Everyone else is feeling it too. They're dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So to segue that in Serena P gets her date. And as Matt comes to pick her up, uh, he wants to say something about how that whole situation went down that night. Um, and then he realizes Sarah's not there. And he says, can I have five minutes? And he goes upstairs to talk to Sarah, um, furthering this divide between the women and Sarah. Um, thoughts on that? Our friend Christy, hi Christy, if you're listening, um, said that she thinks he has like a hero complex and like that he has to like be the hero. He's really in it to like save girls and emotionally support them and... Uh, I kind of agree with that. I think he's very much into this like hero man thing. I felt like it was disrespectful to Serena because I mean, weren't they like laying on a bed and he like kissed Sarah and I just like, you're mentally preparing yourself to go on a date with Serena. And so I felt like, I felt like that was disrespectful to, to Serena because I have a guilty conscience by nature, by nature about everything. I don't think I'd be able to like make out with one girl and then go and with another, I'd be like, can they smell? Do they know? Are they mad about it? Like I would just have so much anxiety about it. That's a whole weird thing about this whole show, right? That's one of the things I can't imagine Right. Yeah. In a way, I feel like if you're going to be the lead on this show, you have to kind of compart like compartmentalize where it's like, I'm with this one person, I'm focusing on this one person, I'm there for this one person, but then you have to do this super quick shift and do the same thing with another person. And I don't always know if that's the best way to build a relationship, but I think that's the way your mindset has to be. I wonder if the producers vet the primary person really well like do they have a psychological test where it's like giving I'm them a situation sure. it's like you make out with one girl you have the following choices rank from one to five like if they do or, that i mean i'm sure that they have a process but if they do that like we're talking about then there's no way pilot pete would have ever been the bachelor or claire it's like, <laughs> You meet one guy. What do you do? Stop. Which, by the way, Claire and Dale are no longer. Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. They're they're gone. They're done. Yep. 
Now he announced it on his Instagram. Dale announced the breakup on his Instagram, but Claire hasn't said anything yet. Has she? I have not seen anything as of about an hour ago. I was surprised because like three days before that they posted like kissy kissy pictures. Yep. And Dale said the only reason he went on was because of Claire. I don't know. Well, we'll see him in Bachelor. It was fun while it lasted. He will be on Bachelor in Paradise, and I guarantee she will be. Oh, that'll be amazing. And it'll be just be, yeah. Okay, back to the, God, Claire's taking more time away from important primaries, just like, um, so we find out that Matt, James loves turtles. Serena does not think they make good pets. My mother-in-law loves sea turtles. I actually have a license plate cover that says sea turtles rock. So I am, I am pro sea turtle or turtles in general. Hi mom. Hi mom. We love sea turtles too. Yep. Uh, thoughts on the connection between Serena P and Matt. They didn't really, there wasn't much that happened on that date. They saw donkeys. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, they seemed to connect pretty well and then it was over. I really like Serena. I think she's bubbly. She's intel. Like there's some, there's some signs that I think she's pretty intelligent. Uh, just some jokes that she's made and things like that, that require a certain amount of wit, I guess. Um, it is hard to tell with their relationship though, because she does seem like, you know, she said, I'm falling into like with you where that just is a bit slower than the other girls, but I don't necessarily think that's an unhealthy way to go about things. I like that because it's, to me, it's honest and logical and reasonable rather than telling someone you love them when you've spent three hours total with them, which to me is just meaningless, you know? Or if you can fall, well, yeah. I think probably if you're somebody who falls in love within three hours, you do it quite a bit, you know, like you've probably fallen in love with multiple people. And then I feel like probably the quicker you fall in love with somebody, if you do it on a regular basis, the more likely you are to quickly fall out of love. And I think, the well, that's a Jessica, tie into Claire. Yeah. That's exactly a tie into Claire. She, she fell in love very quickly and then look where she is now. Yeah. Wow. We really set that one up. Bang! Spike it down. It's this chem it's this couple chemistry we got, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> when people think of us, they think of chemistry. That is the word that comes up. Um, so we're gonna go back to Sarah. Uh kind of out of order, but here we go. Uh the date card comes. Sarah tries to mend fences with the girls. It does not go well. Specifically, Victoria uh kind of becomes the ringleader. Uh, do you think they were too mean to her? Like when she was trying to apologize, she was trying to explain herself. Obviously they're angry. Um, and there were some girls that had articulate, um, kind of here's what, why I'm mad. And then there's girls like Victoria who are like, I don't accept your apology. Well, I don't know what Sarah's supposed to do at this point now that she's already done what she's done, right? So I think that she tries to apologize. She tries to be upfront and, and I think they want to why. They want to know, well, what were you talking with him about? And she's like, well, that was private. 
And I respect, I guess, her need to want to keep those private, that private, but I do understand from the other girls' perspectives where I'm like, if you're going to behave like this and take this time repeatedly, I need to understand that it was done for an important reason. So I don't know. What a conundrum. <laughs> I felt like Victoria at that point was kind of like Brick from Anchorman, just like yelling loud noises. Like, I don't think she actually had any reason to be angry. She just really wanted to stir it up, which I love. Like, but I also think going back to this, you, you mentioned earlier that the very academic common enemy theory, <laughs> like nothing builds a relationship like having a common enemy. It's like they, they hated Victoria, now they hate Sarah more. So Victoria's on the team. And I think she's really trying to play that up. Um, and she's kind of back in. And now, you know, obviously Sarah leaves. I'm not sure where that hate goes. Maybe it goes back to Victoria. Maybe it goes to somebody else. I don't know. Well, they're bringing new girls on next oh, I episode. forgot about that. So yeah. I have a feeling that that like, I feel like Victoria is really going to thrive next episode because I think she is going to become the queen of the old girls and they are just going to just go after the new girls and it is going to be like lions on a lionesses on a herd of gazelle. So um why so many girls this season? You know, they have way more contestants than they ever have. And I do think that it's changing the dynamics of things. Um, and maybe that's the reason that they're doing it. They want to see if that produces some sort of a different result, but like, I, I'm shocked that they're bringing other girls on, not because, I mean, they do this. It seems to be a trick, right? But there's just so many of them. So my mom called us last night and we had my mom on speakerphone and she had, <laughs> I forgot really, about this. She I had a really interesting theory that the producers have a bunker <laughs> and they keep like, you know, women in the bunker and then when the show just gets a little bit boring or they're not sure where it's going, they just pull them out and send them into the house. But there's a bunker of them. Her direct quote was, there must be a bunker of girls. I don't know where this bunker is, but then I'm they like just pull them out. I'm imagining like a Kimmy Schmidt situation. Yes. Yep. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> I, I think it was a COVID protocol. Like, I think they like got more girls than they needed in case some got sick or couldn't make it. And they're like, well, we got them. We might as well throw them on the show. Um, so I'm interested to see who the girls are. Um, and sort of why now, right. you know, in some ways it would make more sense to me if we were whittled down to a few less girls and they had good relationships but there's still a lot of people that you're like, I don't know what's happening with them. Yeah. There's several girls that they came on the screen and I was like, I don't know who that is. Uh-huh. So. Well, they're from the bunker. <laughs> bunker girls. They're the bunker girls. Yeah. Oh, next week, I won't be here, but you guys will need to talk about the bunker girls. Bunker girls. Yeah. That Well, that's what we're going to refer to them as for the rest of the season. So uh, thank you, Oh, so dildo girl uh, comes to Sarah later and has this very nice moment where she says, I was not okay with how mean the girls were to you. Um, I apologize. And um, Sarah opens up about her dad. Um, 
So part of the reason we have Elaine on the show is one, because she's amazing. And two, because she's really amazing um, as an expert in the field of caring for family members who have dementia. Um, So I am going to donate my extra credit time to Elaine. Take it away, Dr. Eshbaugh. Um, So I I will clarify my expertise is in caregiving um, for dementia. I do stuff on caregiving um, more generally or just family caregiving. Um, ALS is not something that we often hear of causing dementia, but sometimes we do have people in the late stages who have um, difficulties cognitively. So there is some relationship here with um, with what I study. But um, I did a study about two or three years ago, um, and this is part of the data that we actually did not publish, but um, about 30% of caregivers, family caregivers, those caring for a a loved one with um, a progressive illness, uh, 30% had symptoms of depression. Um, About, I think it was 27% had um, symptoms of anxiety. So caregiving is, is tough. And I will also say, you know, and I need to throw this in here, we, we talk about a lot of times the negative aspects of family caregiving. It's also rewarding. People also have a sense of accomplishment from it. So, you know, most people will say it's not a negative experience, but there are symptoms, particularly of stress and anxiety that, that come along with that. And one thing we know about stress and anxiety in general, um, and that stress and anxiety that comes along with caregiving is it doesn't stay in this caregiving area. So, you know, it's similar to most things in life where if you have stress caused by one thing, you use a lot of your emotional resources and your coping resources for kind of this big thing that's going on in your life. And then you blow up and cannot deal with your shit on this tiny little thing that seems almost inconsequential. And in this case, I'm not saying that the the bat, being on The Bachelor is inconsequential because it's obviously very important to Sarah. But if you think about being on The Bachelor versus her dad having a terminal disease, um, you know, I, I wonder if maybe her coping mechanisms are just kind of shot. So I, I did make a comment earlier about her being a little bit narcissistic, like no one else feels like this. You know, everyone's dating my boyfriend and no one understands. Well, guess what? They do. They feel the same way. They just cope. But I'm wondering if maybe her coping resources are are just exhausted and it's making that a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, and, and I struggle with her leaving. Um, you know, the girls were mean to her. Her dad is is likely going to die soon. Um, I just feel like she's she's been dealing with a lot and um I do think going home for her was absolutely the right decision. But Danielle thinks she might not be gone. Oh. Right? Oh, you mentioned that tell second. me more. You said I don't know if she's really going to go home. Well, I just like kind of wondered it seemed like they had so much of a connection. I didn't know if she was gonna reappear you know sometimes that happens that someone leaves or chooses to leave they regret their decision once they're gone and then they come back and you know given the way that he did give her attention over and over again when she sought it out it seems like they must have some sort of a connection there and so I didn't know Mm. that would be something we were gonna get hit with later well, I, I agree with that. Um, also, you know, I feel like the the show so far has really focused on 
two bachelorettes primarily. So it's Victoria and Queen in that drama. And then it's been Sarah slash Alexis Rose and her story. And I feel like those are the two, the those are the two big quote plot lines or storylines at this point. And usually when something is a big plot line and they leave, there's a good chance we're gonna see them again because they've given them a lot of screen time. So you may be right. If not, maybe she'll end up being on Bachelor in Paradise later on or something. That might be interesting. So Elaine, I, I do have one other question because you've talked about this before. When it comes to caregiving for family members, oftentimes it is either wow. a daughter or like a daughter-in-law, right? That ends yes. up carrying, um, that might be something interesting to... Yeah, so so an interesting point. Um, if if you are um, if you are an older woman, um, there is a more. Let's see if I can explain this. More than fifty percent chance you will someday live in a nursing home, unless you have three or more daughters or daughters-in-law. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well? So as a woman who's aging, um, so typically what happens in the caregiving process is that um, women care for their husbands, their husbands die. This is because life expectancy for women is longer than men. And then women are left to be cared for, you know, typically um, by other people. And those other people are usually their offspring or the spouses of their offspring, but it does fall more to, to females. I tried to, when I got married, um, avoid this problem by marrying Bill. He's five years younger than me. So my hope is that I don't have to spend a long time in that caregiving phase. Um, so I always tell my female students, if you don't want to care for your husband, watch your husband die, you need to marry somebody younger. But I'm telling this to like 19 year olds. So I tell them to wait to pursue this person because at that point it would actually be, be like illegal and distasteful. <laughs> it's great advice. Yeah. Safe. <laughs> Uh, so, um, and that's what you learn in gerontology classes. Yeah. Wow. You and I gerontology. Yep. Uh, so Danielle, you've alluded to this, but I feel like America is in love with Katie. Now she has become Jimmy cricket for the, um, the group of women. Uh, she goes in, she tells them, Hey, Sarah's leaving because of this with her dad. We need to be classy about this. I don't think Victoria heard that. She was like smirking and clapping. But all the other women were like, okay. Um, then Sarah goes to tell Matt um, she's going home because of her dad um, and that the girls are mean. So I have a couple questions. One, did she really need to tell him that the girls were being mean? Um, any thoughts of on that? Not. I thought it seemed a little like, petty at the end well i thought she was going to drop some names but she didn't so at least there's that well she also told katie it wasn't because the girls were mean so i thought that seemed a little disingenuous to tell her like if you're gonna throw people under the bus at least when they ask you directly throw them under the bus i wondered if it was a way to sort of shift responsibility from herself for the decision she was making right like mm -hmm. oh this isn't a decision that I'm just making for me. This is also because I've been treated poorly. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'll try not to pathologize her, but. <laughs> the whole point of the show, Danielle. You're right, actually, never mind. Let's go for it. <laughs> uh, 
Helene, were you going to say something? I thought you were getting ready. No? I don't remember. I'm good. Okay. All right. Um, so then she, as she's leaving and she's crying, she said, Matt let her go because he sees her heart. And he thought- So here's the thing. Why are people not independent human beings? Matt did not let her go. He, he can't keep her against her will. It's- Or the show, yeah, it becomes a totally different show. Then it becomes right. a horror show where Matt is like hunting her around Pennsylvania. Yeah, he let her go. Yeah. No, she would have to go back to the bunker. He'll, yeah. he'll get her and send her back to the bunker. for. You get recycled back into the bunker. I know. I think, I think that there's, oh, crap, I lost my train of thought. Let me see if I can catch it again. You were thinking about the bunker. <laughs> I got distracted by the bunker. It's like such a great mental image. Like, what do they eat in the bunker? Is it dark? Is it like the bunker in the, what is it? The unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yeah. Have they have to turn the like crank. We need to go back to the bunker. I, I felt like some of, I thought that she wanted him to convince her to not go. I thought that some of this was all about reassuring her insecurities. So I was sort of surprised when she actually did go. Cause I thought that some of this was like, Oh Matt, like, I don't know. This is so hard for me. I don't want to go. And her wanting him to go like, you can't leave. You're my favorite. Right. Like, and then, so then when that doesn't happen and she just, he says, well, if you need to go, you need to go. Then it's, Oh, well he let me go because he can see my heart. So even him letting me go is about his like affection for her. Does yeah, I don't know. That's how she reframes it. In my retelling of her thoughts, yes. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so that's we're to the end. Episode in a statement. I will start, and I will just put my favorite Victoria quote from the episode, which apparently is how I'm going to do this every um, episode now. I don't think I've ever fainted for attention. I don't think I've ever fainted. That was the best Victoria quote. And I think it sums up the episode very nicely. So she's never fainted or fanked. Fanked. She's never, yeah, I've never fainted or fainted. So I think that my line is something like sometimes when you seek attention, you get attention you don't want. <laughs> oh, like the boy who cried wolf. Sort of, well, yeah, sort of. That, you know, Sarah was seeking attention from Mad James, but got attention from the girl she didn't want. The mean girl horde. So, I heard something the other day that kind of made me reflect on maybe my own life and the situations that I put myself in. Um, uh, you can't blame clowns for being clowns when you choose to go to the circus. <laughs> and when, when I say that, what I mean is these girls come on the show like Sarah and they get mad because the other girls also want to spend time with the bachelor and it's like you you know the like you know you're walking into a circus like you know it's it's the bachelor it's the bachelor you know you're walking in there 
Um, and you know that other people are also wanting to date this guy. You know, you know that's going to happen, but you act very surprised. But you chose that situation. And you can't that. blame the other girls for being mean when the other girls are trying to protect their time with Matt, which is what everybody does on the show. Has she never seen the show? Bill and I were talking last night, like, is there an orientation that tells you, hey, other people are going to date this guy you like? See, I told, I told her they probably give her like a fake orientation where they're like, listen, you will get all the time you want with him. No one's going to kiss him but you. And then they're like, dance puppets. I feel like this has to be in the like small print, right? Like they right. probably fill out a lot of paperwork. But they probably don't read it. Life away. Yeah, I don't read that small print. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Elaine? You get the last word, Dr. Eshbaugh. Shout outs. Well, um, I would uh, like to thank my COVID pod squad that watches um, the show with us every Monday night because at the beginning of this, I bought a crock pot and every night I was experimenting, making things in the crock pot and they ate them all and said they were good, um, even if they weren't. And then um, just like last week, I got an air fryer. So same thing. So now they're putting up with the experiments in um, the air fryer. So in one of the uh, interesting positive things about 2020 is I, uh, I kind of learned to cook in 2020. So, um, so thank you all for, for eating what I make. Um, shout out to Sue and Danelle, my mom and my mother-in-law, because they love the podcast. Um, and other than that, um, we have a new president. It's a good day and um, make good choices. Don't do drugs. I like it. Yeah. Yay. That's a good way to end. Everybody have a good uh, rest of your week. You've been listening to Bachadamia with your hosts, Drs. Daniel Dick McGew and Bill Henniger. All opinions expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the person who spoke them. If you like our podcast, please consider following us, leaving us a five-star rating, and a positive review wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, please share with your friends, family, and other ardent Bachelor content lovers. If you have comments or questions you would like us to address on the show, you can email us at bachadamia at gmail.com or on the Twitter with the handle at bachadamia. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.